Hi, this is your Russian Rulers podcast host, Mark Schaus. I'm interrupting today's podcast all the way from episode 108 to make a short announcement. I've created a new blog site for all things having to do with Russian history and far beyond just the rulers. You can find it at www.RussianRulersHistory.com. I mean, there's a lot of content there already to read about things like the Decemberist Revolt of 1825, the life of Sviatopolk the Accursed, Nikita Khrushchev, and much, much more. Of course, there's also a small little PayPal donation button there if you want to help support the podcast. It would be much appreciated. Now, on to the podcast. Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, Episode 44, The Ascension of Catherine. Last week, we recounted about how the now Russian Grand Duchess Catherine was left alone in a loveless marriage, harassed by a temperamental Empress Elizabeth, and was biding her time until she could take over the reins of her adopted country. Elizabeth, convinced that Peter and Catherine were plotting against her, her paranoia fueled by Chancellor Bestrushev, had the two young people isolated. Whenever someone close seemed to become friendly with either of the two, they would be dismissed, sometimes banished to Siberia for nothing more than smiling too often. Peter, for his part, was petrified of his aunt, knowing what she had done to Ivan VI and what her father had done to his son Alexis. She had that same temperamental blood in her. Catherine was his only confidant and the only one who could calm him down in his moments of fear. The other activity that would take the Grand Duke's mind off his fear was his toy wooden soldiers, which he would play with for hours in bed, with Catherine sitting next to him, bored out of her mind. Elizabeth had loyal spies following the couple's every move. Monsieur and Madame Troglokova became the chief among them, always reporting anything that seemed out of the ordinary to the Empress even making things up to avoid becoming unnecessary. By now, Catherine was a young woman of 18, who, as she put it, quote, I was growing prettier by the day. I was tall and had a fine figure. I lacked only a little embonpoint. I was rather thin. Catherine, while she considered herself tall, was in actuality about five foot three inches tall. There were many who were charmed by the young lady, but they had to be circumspect, lest Elizabeth grow suspicious. Another issue that was being brought up was the lack of a child and heir. Wasn't this why Catherine was summoned to Russia? While it was Peter who lacked the performance capability, it was Catherine who was blamed. She needed to step up and use her female skills to make Peter impregnate her. Elizabeth talked often about annulling the marriage due to it not being consummated and sending Catherine back to Germany, something that frightened the Grand Duchess as her mother was broke and in France and her father had passed away. How could she have a baby with the asexual buffoon of a husband and save her position? Then she met Sergei Saltikov. At this juncture, we begin to tread into dangerous historical waters. It is said that Saltikov, son of one of the oldest noble families of Russia, had impregnated Catherine, 
followed quickly by Peter consummating the marriage, but performing poorly. But the important thing was that the Grand Duke and Empress Elizabeth believed that Catherine's husband was the one responsible for her turning up pregnant. Unfortunately, she suffered a miscarriage in December of 1752. Now, the reason I say we tread on dangerous historical waters is that who got Catherine pregnant is up for debate as she gives mixed signals in her memoirs, and her responses sometimes seem very politically expedient. So I caution the listener to take all of these patronage talks with a large grain of salt. There was no doubt that she had an affair, as Bestrushev, ever the sly fox, knew of Catherine's affair, and in an unexpected twist, he encouraged the liaison as it, was, as it was in the best interest of the country that a child be born. There is some evidence, although circumstantial, that Empress Elizabeth was in on the deception that was to take place. Again, Catherine became pregnant, supposedly by a now nervous Serge Saltikoff. But again, Catherine miscarried. Then in January of 1754, she was pregnant once again by guess who? Well, on September 20th, 1754, a midwife held up the boy who was to one day become Tsar, Paul Petrovich. As soon as he was cleaned up, he was taken away from his mother. And as Troyat puts in his book on Catherine, quote, She was only a womb emptied of its contents. She was no longer of interest to anyone. In an instant, her room was deserted, unquote. Now, Imagine going through the pain of childbirth, there's no anesthetics, and then being left all alone. Now there's suspicion here that Peter was indeed the father of the child and that Catherine, who insinuated in her memoirs that it was Saltikloff to blunt any criticism because she later had the father of her child killed when she overthrew her husband years later. Now whoever was truly the father, it didn't matter as Empress Elizabeth took the child under her wing. Saltikov, for all his troubles, was sent away to become the permanent minister for Russia in faraway Hamburg. She saw him a few more times in 1755, but when he left for his post that spring, she would never lay eyes on her first true love again. Catherine, instead of letting the abandonment and shabby treatment get her down, noticeably matured she began taking on lovers, first Count Stanislaus Poinatowski, then others. Peter also flandered about. At this time in 1756, Russia flipped alliances from England and Prussia to France and Austria. This put the royal couple in a pickle as they were both born Prussians and greatly admired its leader, Frederick II. Catherine knew that Elizabeth could easily name her son Paul heir and send both parents back to Germany. It was here that Catherine began to conspire to take control of Elizabeth, of Russia, excuse me, once Elizabeth died. That is, if she got the chance. Catherine brought herself closer to Bestrushev, who was once her mortal enemy. Elizabeth, for her, bar, for her part, began to lower herself down the road of debauchery, getting drunk every night and using a new lever whenever it suited her. Her health, both physically and mentally, were declining rapidly, much like her father, Peter the Great. 
Catherine was once again pregnant, by whom it is not clear. On December 9, 1758, she gave birth to a daughter, Anna, who, like Paul, was quickly taken from her. The political tides were now turning against Bestrushev and towards his rival, Vice-Chancellor Vorontsov and the brothers Shuvalov. On a Sunday in February 1759, before a pair of weddings of some noblemen, Bestrushev and a number of Catherine's friends, including Poniatowski, were arrested and accused of treason. The Grand Duchess was in trouble by association, and she knew it. Catherine became cold and calculating, feigning an illness and demanding a confessor, but not just anyone, but Elizabeth's, Father Dubiansky. She pled her case and demanded to return to Germany. Catherine had to take this tact as the Empress was refusing to see her. Dubiansky made her case to Elizabeth, who agreed to see Catherine on April 13, 1759. When she went into the room where the Empress was seated, she noted all the others that were there too. This was not a one-on-one -on -one meeting, but a trial. Almost immediately, letters from Catherine to Bestrushev and the fallen general Aproxen were put into evidence. With great courage, Catherine dropped to her knees and begged to be sent home, as she was alone and no one loved her, abandoned by all. A battle of wits raged between Elizabeth and Catherine, and then Peter chimed in with a clumsy attack on his wife, hoping to rid himself of her so he could marry his mistress, whom he flaunted openly. Catherine showed real guts that even Elizabeth was shocked by, but the Grand Duchess was winning the day by calling her accusers bluff as the evidence they had was weak. The next day, Elizabeth had made a comment to a courtier about Catherine. Quote, she loves truth and justice. She is a woman of great sense, but my nephew is a fool. Catherine was now safe. In April 1759, her daughter Anna died. But while she wept for the loss, she was never close to the girl, only seeing her briefly once a week. Also, she was isolated from the political world, just in case she really was involved in things she shouldn't have been into. It is at this juncture that Catherine meets one of the loves of her life, Grigory Orlov, the grandson of a Streltsy soldier who Peter the Great had pardoned because of his bravery in the face of execution. And there was a little side note here. He was about to be executed, and he was walking up the planks to have his, to be beheaded when he looked down and he saw the head of another Streltsy that had just been executed, and he kicked the head and just plopped his head down and went, do it. Peter was so impressed by this lack of fear that he pardoned him. Well, Grigori and his four brothers were to be critical to Catherine's future plans. She brought the men closer to her as well as Count Nikita Panin, who detested Grand Duke Peter and his Prussian mannerisms. Her net of intrigue became larger and stronger. Now, Panin was a pupil of Bestrushev, but he had correctly distanced himself long ago, protecting his reputation. Now, Vorontsov and Peter were busy scheming to rid the country of Catherine and her bastard son, Paul. 
but they had not counted on Ivan Shuvalov, one of their allies, switching sides towards Catherine. Shuvalov, who was very close to the Empress, knew that when Elizabeth died, he was finished, as Peter was an imbecile and Catherine was the real power broker. But when Elizabeth died on Christmas Day in 1761, all present fell to their knees when Peter III was proclaimed emperor. At the funeral, Peter, now full of himself, refused to stand vigil at his aunt's funeral, a stupid blunder that angered many. To top it off, his behavior when he did show up was appalling, as he laughed inappropriately, mocked the priests, and generally acted like a childish ass. Catherine, for her part, acted like the grieving niece. She genuflected repeatedly, making the sign of the cross at the appropriate moment. The public, as well as the nobles, took note and couldn't help but admire her. Baron Brutoil of France wrote, quote, The Empress is gaining ground in the minds of all. No one is more assiduous in the performance of the duties due to the late Empress, which, in accordance with the Greek religion, are numerous and full of superstitions that she surely finds laughable. But the clergy and the people believe her to be deeply affected and are grateful to her on that account. With an exactitude remarkable to those who know her, she observes saints' days, fasts, days of abstinence, all of which the emperor treats lightly and which are nevertheless of no small importance in this country. She is not the woman to forget or forgive the threat often uttered by the emperor when he was Grand Duke, to have her head shaved and shut her up in a convent, as Peter I did to his first wife. All that, together with her daily humiliations, must be an affirmant in a mind like hers. It wants only an opportunity to explode. Peter then pulled off the ultimate idiocy by acting like a clown during the final funeral procession for Elizabeth. But he didn't stop there. Oh, no. The next day he ordered a ceasefire in the war against Prussia, just as the Russians were about to deliver the death punch to Frederick II. He had snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. Now all of Russia was aghast. But if you think he's done, Oh, no. He decided to make another, even more powerful enemy, the Russian Orthodox Church. Not only did he build a Lutheran chapel in his palace, he ordered that the now heretical old believers are to be tolerated, and in a big mistake, he also proclaimed that the lands and the wealth of the church was to be confiscated. Now, stupidly, while he was doing all of this nonsense, Peter sent Catherine to one end of the newly built winter palace, forgetting her and setting up shop with his mistress, Elizabeth Voronsova, in the other end, of course. Catherine was now unhampered and unwatched, but she had one prob big problem. She was pregnant again. She was able to go through the entire pregnancy and give birth without Peter knowing the child was taken away and secreted elsewhere. He ordered her arrested and sent to Schlüsselburg, but was dissuaded at the last minute by Prince George of Holstein. This was a big mistake. Catherine saw the writing on the wall and knew she needed to act 
and act now. The plan was now being hatched with the five Orlov brothers, Panin and members of the Priobrazhensky and Ishmaelovsky regiments. On June 27, 1762, one of the conspirators had been arrested due to making some unflattering comments about the emperor while drunk. The plotters knew it was only a matter of time before they were found out, so they decided now was the time. Catherine II was proclaimed empress by the gathering troops, and word spread all over, but not to Peter, who was blissfully unaware. But when he found out, he panicked. Orders were sent out for officers of the Navy to come to his aid. But they refused, saying they had already pledged their allegiance to Catherine. Catherine donned a male military uniform and wrote a note to the Senate, which stated, quote, Gentlemen of the Senate, I am leaving the city at the head of an army in order to bring peace and security to the throne. With complete confidence, I entrust to your care my supreme power, the fatherland, the people, and my son. That day, she met Grigory Potemkin, someone we will talk much about in the coming weeks. A few days later, Chancellor Vorontsov presented himself to Catherine with a proposal from Peter to share power. Catherine answered with a big laugh. Vorontsov knew the writing on the wall, and he switched his allegiance to Catherine. Peter was now at Orienbaum and was a virtual prisoner, as most, if not all, of the military had declared for Catherine. Knowing it was over, Peter was forced to sign an act of abdication written by the Empress. It said, quote, During this brief period of my absolute reign over the Empire of Russia, I have recognized that my strength was not sufficient to bear such a burden. For this reason, after mature reflection, I solemnly declare of my own free will to all Russia and to the entire universe that I renounce the government of the said empire for as long as I shall live. There was no longer any doubt as to who was the boss. Catherine's lifelong ambition to become sole ruler of Russia was finally hers. Now she needed to figure out what to do with her wretched husband. It was to become one of the biggest blemishes on her stellar reign. Next week, we recount the last days of Peter III and begin telling the story of the grand reign of Catherine the Great. Now, for this week in Russian history, for the week of April 10th through the 16th, we have a number of deaths here. In 1093, Prince the I of Kiev died. In 1113, Sviatopolk II of Kiev the Russian prince also died. In 1132, Mstislav I of Kiev passed away. In 1605, Tsar Boris Gudunov of Russia died, precipitating the uh, time of troubles. In 1682, we have Avakum, the Russian priest and writer, dying. In 1684, Catherine I of Russia was born. In 1917, Lenin returned to Petrograd, which is also another name for St. Petersburg, 
from exile into Switzerland. And in 1961, Prince Yuri Gagarin becomes the first human to travel into outer space, and Vostok won. Well, thanks for listening to this uh, episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please don't forget to uh, visit the uh, website at russianrulers.podhoster.com or become a Facebook friend and join the hundreds of others there at Russian Rulers History Podcast. And please leave a comment, make a suggestion, or ask a question. But as always, das vidanya i spasiba bolshoya.